I have someone I want you to meet. I don't want to meet anyone. No, no, I don't want to meet anyone. Dad gave you this? Yes. You'll like her. I don't think I'm going to like her. Does she like jazz? Probably not. Then what are we going to talk about? You're entering a cosmic void. Welcome to a cosmic void. I'm Biggs. I'm Jeremiah. That's right. It was the sweet, sultry tones of current and previous, but mostly current host Jeremiah <laughs> Perez. Hello, I am back, y'all. Ah, oh, thank you for doing this continuously without me. I uh, was in the process <laughs> of moving, and it was very stressful, so I had to take a, a mini break. But I am now officially back and live closer to Biggs. So all good things. Yeah. And just to put it on Front Street, I was a bit of an asshole with this whole thing. But I'm glad that, you know, the band's back together because it feels right. It just feels right. It does. It does. (laughs) It feels very right. It does feel very right. So we are doing La La Land today. Do you want to walk through your history with this movie? Okay, so if I walk through my history of this movie, I have to walk through the history of me liking fucking musicals, which uh, starts with uh, Repo, Genetic Opera, which we were previously talking about when we were getting ready. Then I got into or The Devil's Carnival, which was like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's by the same people who did uh, our Repo, Genetic Opera, and uh, pretty much... Where I was at with, like, musicals was, like, alt musicals, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then uh, someone told me to watch this movie for the wrong reason. And I watched it. So, okay, I'll just be transparent about it. My uh, my mom's shitty fucking ex told me to watch this movie because he was depressed because she broke up with him. And he was like, you should watch this movie. In, like, the kind of way that someone would be like, this reminds me of your mother. It's like our same situation. And I was like, oh, okay, man. Uh, I watched it, completely blown away. I did not like the first bit of it, though. It took me a minute to get into it. But uh, this ended up being, like, honestly, probably one of my favorite musicals that i have seen and like uh those movies i mentioned previous are probably like 10 years old now so this being a relatively newer movie um it's instantly became my favorite movie when i saw it and then uh it actually just got replaced by hamilton which we will talk about in a later time yeah this movie totally swept me away i i've never really talked about that i've talked to bix about it but i've never talked about it on the podcast but i'm very fond of like romance uh movies <laughs> which is kind of we haven't really covered that part of like my movie history background but uh stuff like this uh the fountain and um what's the other one that this reminded me of uh this one really reminded me of like a, a lighter version of uh, uh the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind uh i uh deeply love this movie and it it's everything i love about a movie it's got ryan gosling uh and emma stone which i i have never been too fond of emma stone but um i fucking love capital l love emma stone <laughs> i really do she's been in a lot of movies that i like quite a bit so she's when been in she some started... that i don't like quite a bit like the amazing spider-man movies but she's yeah. great at 
I mean, I don't really know what you're talking about because I refuse to uh, believe that those movies exist. <laughs> uh, when they enter the, the Spider-Verse in the new movie, <laughs> you're going to have to reckon with it. Did you see the leaked trailer for that? No, but it's probably not real. <laughs> no, dude. I saw I saw a, a low-key leaked trailer or whatever. I know I saw a fake one that pissed me the fuck off. And then I saw one that kind of looked legit. It at least had what's-his-face. Uh, did you from indiana jones shia labeouf no the dude that played doc Ock. how dare you <laughs> alfred morelli <laughs> yeah alfred morelli yeah it looked pretty pretty decent but i don't know if it's real i guess it's probably not <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i feel like if it really leaked they would have just gotten out ahead of it and totally put the trailer out so it was nice and in, in hd that's tends to be what disney does the few times that it's happened so right but i don't know we'll see disney is like low-key killing it oh dude i was literally watching what if before we started this yeah i me too i watched it last night before i went to bed and uh i was like really into it i was wondering how they were going to do it because um of not having those actors i think they have sebastian stan but they had a most of the actors were there but chris evans was replaced i think that's about all that they really replaced they didn't get tommy lee jones but they have bradley whitford kind of as a stand-in which makes more sense if you've seen that peggy carter short when she starts shield basically they had this like marvel one shot that had bradley whitford being her antagonist and so they got him to do the voice but it seems like they've gotten like 70 percent of the marvel actors on board so yeah it's a pretty easy gig i'd imagine you just show up for a day and, and do lines for an hour and you're done you know so yeah i'm uh i'm very i'm very impressed with what they uh have showcased so far and uh yeah uh yeah i'm very very down with the clown with that one whoop whoop uh let's start this well actually i want to run through my history which is oh, kind, yeah <laughs> which is kind <laughs> of the same as most people i'm gonna guess with la la land which is like i heard it was good and i heard it got the most oscar nominations and for whatever reason i wasn't really covering the horse race that year in podcasting and i regretted it because there was an all-timer oscar moment that i'm sure we'll talk about later but the whole thing of like it being handed to la la land and then taken away because they opened the wrong envelope it was Emma Stone's best actress envelope that they opened. And Warren Beatty was like, what the fuck? And then threw Faye Dunaway under the bus. <laughs> and she, she like, <laughs> well, he's like, I don't know what to do. And she's just like, ah, and like snatches it and reads it off. And uh, yeah, so that was a giant shit show. So that was kind of my introduction to it. I'm not real big on musicals. I liked what you said about I like alternative musicals because that is where I fall. If it's like a classic musical, I'm really out for the most part but yeah. when they do something interesting with it i can very much be in and this is a movie where i'm definitely in on it one thing that they do in this movie that i appreciate is they don't spend a bunch of time setting it up as if they're singing all of their interior dialogue they're really not doing mm -hmm. that like they're just kind of singing about the situation but they've already set up the situation it's literally like a vibe thing it's like they only sing when they're vibing out with each other or to a moment which uh you know showcasing like my favorite one of my favorite scenes that really hit me because I, I i don't know if i've ever told you this but i deeply love the piano it's one of the only instruments that i can play that i can hear something and just fucking play it on there i can't do that with like anything and i played guitar for a very long time and piano is just there's something about it and um 
I think it lends itself to uh, playing easier in that all the notes are lined up straight. Yeah. Right? Like it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You don't have to yeah. do weird finger positions to find it. Yeah. So it's oh, easier to right. improvise. <laughs> like if you understand basic music theory, it's actually pretty easy to at least play like slow songs on the piano, which is what I do. So. Right. <laughs> but uh, when Seb is uh, getting fucking berated at his first job about just sticking to the, the music, it's very easy. Just play the music. And then he's playing the Christmas music and then the lights dim and then you just see him sort of vibing out. It's always like that. It's, it's such a vibe when they start singing that it's like it almost feels fucking real in a really weird kind of way. There's so many good things about this fucking movie, man, that I keep talking over your part, and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. I, I agree with that. I think that there's a lot to be had in this movie. And I think part of it is a structure. I like the way that they attack the structure. Like, they're making a new musical, right? They're not doing mm-hmm. a traditional musical. And I like that. Even though they have a lot of allusions to classical musicals, they are very much doing a new thing with it. And I think that the next thing was the leads, because Ryan Gosling and... And Emma Stone have chemistry and they've worked together on quite a few movies at this point. I think they've like four with the fifth one coming up, I think. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So they work together really well and it shows on the screen. I mean, you really do feel the chemistry between them, which makes it easier when you have to go like walk the line of a love hate relationship, because that's really what they have, depending on where in the timeline you're talking. And they can nail both of those things. And if that doesn't work with the leads, this all falls apart so hard. And I mean, yes, your lead's important in any movie, but it's really, really crucial in this because if you can't believe the relationship, you can't believe this movie at all. Right. But I, I mean, Ryan Gosling nails this kind of person that he's playing, Seb. Like, if you've ever seen The Notebook or, you know, Blue Valentine, like, uh, I I fell in love with Ryan Gosling when I watched Blue Valentine, which is kind of in a similar vein, like a, uh, a love story, but, you know, also kind of a break up story and then um what's there's another one that's kind of like that uh where he's dating j-lo um the place beyond the pines uh he has this weird mysticism thing going on where like he's just he has this romantic brooding fucking i'm just a fucking guy and then like he just has this such a great chemistry uh with Emma Stone and just, I don't know, just his vibe is just very, like, awesome. He plays this role in other movies in different kind of, like, levels. You know, I just I just love Ryan Gosling in this kind of job or acting, you know, kind of movie. I agree. And I'm a big fan of The Notebook. Yeah, me too. My, my buddy Greg was trying to get me to watch it. And I was like, ah, come on. And then the late great Dub Campbell came out and was talking about how great it was and how they watched it together and held each other in the arms. And I'm not sure how much they played that up, but eventually I wound up watching it with Amanda about, I want to say it was like 12 years ago. It was when we were first dating and I fell in love with that movie and I've watched it a couple of times. And it's one that I suggest to people and I know they're going to laugh at me every time I say it, but it's like, no, it's legitimately good and there's levels. You should really actually watch that movie. I would 
hard recommend it as a as a uh, as a heavily tattooed dude that likes a lot of aggressive music that is like seriously one of my favorite movies and i just want to put this out on the record when people talk about the notebook they think it's some like whack-ass like romance movie but there's a lot of like like it's literally about ryan gosling stealing someone's girlfriend and like you know there's and then her being like conflicted with wanting to be with him so there's a lot to it and you know and then on top of it you know but i think the end is what really really hooked me into the and i don't want to get too into it because that's a, a different movie but ryan gosling shows levels of emotional intelligence in his acting that I think you see in La La Land. I, it made total sense that they casted him for this movie. I think. Yeah, and I mean, like, looking at just this, like, IMBD, I mean, he's been killing it with that kind of vibe for a very long time. Like He knows his lane. Yeah. Ryan Gosling is, like, one of my favorite actors, man. And even when you see him, have you seen Lars and the Real Girl? No. So the whole concept is he's, like, an estranged brother to this chick. Uh, and he's dating a sex doll and like he thinks that she's like real and like you know it's it's a very fucking weird movie but like he ends up meeting someone and like you know uh, to be that guy is like that's I, I feel like that's such you know he's just a, a genuinely good actor and um I know a lot of people probably won't like this movie, but um, uh, Only God Forgives is one of my favorite Ryan Gosling movies, which is a very hard movie to watch, but it's uh, the cinematography in that movie is like, honestly, one of the things that made me kind of fall in love with like what when, when you see a good cinematographer, what they do for a movie or a TV show, and it's just so fucking awesome. Just watch that movie if you get a chance. But um, anyways, we should probably kick this shebang. So here's the premise. An actress and jazz musician become star-crossed lovers, but following your dreams and following your heart isn't easy. You're entering the void. You know, for, for once, I would like to change. Can we call it entering the light <laughs> or like entering the stars, like some nice piano music in the background. And now you're <laughs> dancing with the stars. <laughs> dancing. Uh, yes. Dancing with the stars. Um, <laughs> I'm Jerry well, Rice. No, <laughs> I never uh, even watched an episode of that I've show. I've never seen that show. I was trying to think of what I could say. I was like, I saw Dave Chappelle do a bit about it, man. I'm Dave Chappelle. While stuck in Los Angeles traffic, aspiring actress Mia Dolan has a moment of road rage directed at Sebastian Wilder, a struggling jazz pianist. Uh, this is like honestly one of my favorite fucking scenes. It's also in reverse of what you said because he's the one who has road rage on her. She's reading a no. script and not paying attention. He comes by and flips her off. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because she's like just talk. She's talking about how. I can't wait to be an actress and this is my start. Uh, you're going to hear me sing dancing a lot of things. I guess you can't see me sing dancing, but I, I'm sing dancing. I'm holding the mic and dancing around. He's doing it, man. And somehow he's produced a top hat and like a cane. Yeah, it just came out of nowhere. I'm a magician also. But uh, I I love this scene because she's just vibing out and then fucking <laughs> Ryan Gosling just cuts her off and then flips 
her off. It's like the the best. Do they ever talk about that? They don't talk about that, do they? They never talk about that. And I get the impression that they may not even realize it because it was just a glance at each other. But it definitely does set up the adversarial relationship they'll have in the first act of this movie. Mm -hmm. After a hard day at work, Mia goes to an audition and uh, really puts her heart out there. And it just, you know, you can see her acting doesn't work out, you know, and the, the acting, the casting director is like, cool, you know, good job. Call someone else in and, you know, um, yeah, the one thing I really like about this movie is right from the get-go, they really print a thing on that Hollywood vibe, which I, I really don't have too much experience with that, but I, you know, I've I've heard, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts about people who have tried to do that, and, uh, you know, she walks out the door and you see 10 other girls that look like her, which kind of might be, feel devastating, I feel like, especially if, you know, you don't get it, like, the slightly redder shade of a chick that looks kind of like Emma Stone got it, you know, and it's like, damn. And there's an extra level of it, too, when you're talking about the casting director. Casting director is not totally paying attention, and she's putting it all out there. Like, she's doing a great job when she delivers this monologue. But then, like, somebody walks in, I think, with either a phone call or a coffee. I don't remember exactly what it was, but just totally interrupts her. And the casting director just clearly cares about that more than the performance in front of her. And apparently that was Emma Stone's real life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she actually experienced that in one of those cattle calls, you know, for lack of a better term, they they call it that when they call in a lot of actresses to try and find a fresh face, they call it a cattle call. It's really brutal and it just shows you the rejection that she feels and that she's going to continue to feel through this movie. It's a really good setup of that, just like how people don't even look to see what they have in front of them. They're just, you know, it's not even like, can you try that a different way or anything like that? It's just literally she's doing a great job reading this line and they just could not care less. And to me, part of that reads is like, yeah, we're looking for like a slightly different look. You know what I mean? It's got nothing to do with what she reads, which apparently is also a common thing in Hollywood. It is very a real thing. I, um... Like sometimes they'll be like they're two inches too tall or too short, yeah. and it's like oh. so they just tune out before you even get in there when they see you walk in the room, and you never get an explanation. You know, one of my favorite bits from a podcast I listen to. Uh, there's a guy talk. He's talking about how we auditioned for Red Dead Redemption Two, which is a fucking video game. So it's just straight up voice acting, and the way they told him he didn't get the job is like, you know, man, you just just not tall enough, and that's like a legit thing that happened to him is they told him he wasn't tall enough, and uh, Troy. Baker ended up getting the job, which if you know video games, that dude is literally like the only dude in video games. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. Uh, there's a great podcast I listen to called Dead Eyes, which is this guy Connor Ratliff, and he's really funny, but he tried out for Band of Brothers and uh, he had just one little scene, but he wound up getting fired by Tom Hanks, and so it's like a double whammy because it's Tom Hanks that fired him, and he never got a reason as to why he was let go, and so this podcast is like a cathartic is working through it but he talks about auditions quite a bit in there and he's talking with other actors and actresses about their vulnerability in it there's just a lot of material to mine from that you know like the behind the curtain it's not shiny it's not glamorous it's just shitty this movie definitely taps into that with that scene uh tom hanks did uh band of brothers he directed an episode and he was one of the producers with steven spielberg on it my favorite bit of that show is when ross gets fucking fired so the first episode yeah 
yeah, it's like the first episode. It's so funny though, because he's so shitty to fucking his unit, and then he gets like immediately fired when they go over to the war. Based on a, a book. It was based on, on a book by a guy in Helena. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but the author uh, of it. Stephen E. Ambrose. Yes. Stephen Ambrose is a Helena native. Big historian. Writes a big history book every couple of years. That usually winds up being a bestseller. Yeah. That's crazy. There's so many weird people from Montana that are famous. Like yeah. The dude that wrote Aragon. Weird. Anyways... Uh, that night, Mia's roommates want to take her to this, like, super epic party and, uh, you know, promising her that she could meet someone that could jumpstart her career, you know, which is, I feel like is like, uh, so I follow a guy that I, I buy some merch from. I'm actually wearing one of his shirts right now. Shout out Copes on Instagram. Uh, but, uh, that dude throws these crazy LA parties that like people I would not think would go to his parties end up showing up. And uh, I feel like that's kind of the vibe in L.A. is like if you just go to one of these parties, it's almost like a fucking uh, career thing. Because like I've listened to another podcast to talk about people who live in L.A. And he was saying that like the craziest thing about living in L.A. is everyone that lives there generally tells you their credits when they meet you. Where they're like, well, my name is Jeremiah. I do a Cosmic Voice podcast. Instead of just being like, yo, I'm Jeremiah. So you know you're talking about the the main place that the industry is set up you know yeah. so it's everybody is trying to get a foot in the door any way you can and sometimes it's a chance meeting you know like sometimes it's just like they'll invite you to a casting call just from a meeting just from your look or whatever and then maybe that's an opportunity probably not but you never know and you can't really risk it right and she has a job where she's working at a coffee shop on the Warner Brothers lot that seems like it's intentional to me because you're right on the lot where things are happening and it should be added before she goes to that uh audition she gets coffee spilled on her by ryan gosling walking in right like oh my god that's right no 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 it's not Ryan gosling is isn't it? it maybe it's not it's very quick but regardless she gets she gets coffee spilled on her front and it's embarrassing so she's got to wear this jacket and zips up the jacket when she goes to do the audition yeah it's devastating and it makes it seem extra defeated when she's like unzipping the jacket and you see like that staying after she was just rejected but then at this party it's kind of more of the same in a way because she's going to this party and uh you can tell she just like part of it is just trying to make a connection with somebody in hollywood to get started i don't think she's particularly interested in going to a party right yeah she's definitely not that kind of person i kind of take her as like a straight edge ish like i'm more about my job than like maybe not straight edge but more like she cares more about like her career than she cares about like wilding out and meeting people yeah. at a party you know this is a social function for her this is a way to yeah. network which is like a very real thing um dude i do it all the time like whenever i go and hang out with people i'm just constantly talking about like at some point i'll talk about what i do and i'm always trying to plant seeds somewhere you know you never know if it's going to be a person you can interview or if it's somebody mm -hmm. who might want a podcast at some point but this is how it's done in the world you know if you want to get a leg up if you want to get things going you got to just keep putting yourself out there in every situation you can so that's what she's doing she's doing everything she can 
kind of make it. Which is very dog eat dog, just anyways in real life. And I feel like in that kind of uh, world, it's it's like that times two. You know, it's very much so. You really gotta meet the dude who's doing this on an off chance. But uh, I do want to talk about because this is a musical. I, I, I which I, I, me and you are both music lovers and have done music related things. And you know, uh, the song that she's singing uh, in prep to go to the party and at the party is called someone in the crowd which uh was pretty much just describing what we said you know you got an invitation you got the right address you need some medication their answer is always yes a little chance reminder uh could be the one you've waited for just squeeze a bit more tonight we're on a mission tonight's the casting call this is the real audition oh god help us all you know um which is like literally what we just said you know what i really love about this movie is it it really does kind of dissect that hollywood la california like people literally just fighting to either you know the, the first part is like you know on her end of like her trying to be an actor which is like her fighting for literally just a fucking chance to like do pretty much anything and um i just really love that while she's singing this whole song about like you know it's an opportunity it's a chance it's this and that she's just uh someone in the crowd she's just a person you know and i really love how this this song could be literally a glamorous this is my chance this could be it but it's like she's really talking about how like it's the expectation of this is what i'm supposed to feel and how i'm supposed to act at this function but i'm really just like a person and i don't know if that's like who i want to be you know and um i love that because it's it's very this movie's very real on a lot of different levels despite having surreal music numbers it is very real i mean you've got two seasoned people which i think is smart that are used to being in the system and chewed up by it and they're not doing what they want to do yet right but in different ways and i think that's the driving force of this movie is like trying to kickstart what you want in your career and what that takes and the the toll it takes on people you know mm-hmm. and we're seeing that toll in the scene because she's dolling herself up for a party she doesn't really want to go to she's going to it because for her it's like it's basically work you know she's going there to try and get a job essentially and she will not succeed in this particular party so right so um you know her car gets fucking towed and she literally just walks home uh and then uh this is where we meet our our god beautiful beautiful man ryan gosling i'm like honestly such a fan of ryan gosling right like, like first he says hello with the middle finger and then we yeah. actually get to meet him in the scene yeah then we get to meet the the fucking asshole <laughs> and he is an asshole at this part yeah he's he's such a dickhead but i love it it's such a because he's very like if i was like a very talented musician where that was like a job on the sense of being in a band but like you know i'm the piano guy of fucking lucas or something like i feel like this is what i would fucking do is i would test my material <laughs> and so you know during a gig at the restaurant seb uh is getting talked to by the owner and he's like listen i like you you're very good you're talented but there's a set list it's christmas 
No one wants to hear jazz. Just play the music. You have a job. Play the music. And he's like, okay, man. And he's playing it, and you can see he's defeated in his eyes. Like He's like, I don't want to play this shit. And then, you know, like I was saying earlier, the lights dim, and then he's just slowly ending a Christmas song one note at a time, and then just goes into City of Stars, which is the heart of this movie. It's the main theme, yeah. Yeah, it's... uh, I know it's called City of Stars, but it's also uh seb and um uh what's uh, mia's theme also yes so um you know he starts playing that very lightly and then it gets you know more in depth and louder and then all of a sudden he's just fucking vibing out and like i said you know it's all black you just see him spotlight directly on him vibing out at this restaurant to his own music and then you know the lights turn on he's like literally standing up fucking like jamming the fuck out on the piano in a restaurant the lights turn on back to reality immediately gets fucking fired yeah and this is where emma stone goes and walks in and sees him playing she's following the music you know i'll be honest when i lived in bozeman uh that was i i used to love walking downtown because there's so much shit like that during the summer uh pre-covid post-covid right now too i mean well but i mean there is stuff going on all over downtown but this is why if you play music and you show up to a bar and nobody's there they make you play anyway because the sound mm-hmm. of music will sometimes draw people in it's just a draw for sure if you vibe out to that kind of thing and you know one of my favorite things would be is like it's late at night just walking around downtown just exploring the city and then you hear someone playing you know a fucking violin or a saxophone or you know you can just see someone like vibing out and i i love that and that's what really connected me to mia was following the music because i've like legitimately done that you know and uh, you know she goes and she's like so into the music and like enchanted with the music and she follows the music opens the door just looking at seb and then he's like uh move or he says something like super fucking rude to her i think he pushes her yeah he did something he's like super he's storming rude. out yeah and she's just trying to like say i liked your music and she can't even get it out because he's basically like runs into her like rudely and it's yeah. just like get the hell out of my way or something like that we should say too like they intro him slightly before that he is in his apartment with his sister that that dialogue we delivered at the beginning and they have this whole thing where he's got this stool that she's sitting on i thought that happened after isn't it before either way they're setting up that he seems very pretentious but that's because he wants to do a certain thing and everybody's telling him no over and over again and it's reinforced with jk simmons basically shutting him down in that bar and refusing to even let him like do the gig you know finish out the gig even because he played the one jazz song it seems like damien chazelle really likes to use jk simmons and like passive aggressive not even passive aggressive like openly aggressive roles he is so fucking good at that though yeah 100 i forgot jk simmons was in this movie and i fucking he's so brief in this movie but uh, i think I, i think it's actually after this scene when that happens 
but yeah, he's you know he's talking to his sister, and you no, know, he's just so dick hard for jazz that he's like, oh, this dude spit in this cup, fucking you know Frank Sinatra spit in this cup. I'm not throwing it away. No, like yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's got people like J.K. Simmons telling him not my tempo, you know, at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but you know, he's essentially saying that that is not what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, very hard. Uh, Christmas is his tempo in this one um and by the way i know that so well because all the bands i was in we wouldn't do more than a couple of covers because i refused to be in a band that did more than a couple covers i always wanted to write original music so that's the kind of gig i would never ever take if i was ryan gosling however i understand dude's got to pay his rent right yeah but he's like uh what's there's a term for it i've heard it before uh a starving artist he's a starving artist you know but he's not really because he takes jobs to get by. That's the thing. Eventually, though, only because only because his sister is berating him, like, you know, kind of not paying your bills. Right, but look at it. He's going into the club with J.K. Simmons. They clearly have this rapport where he knows what Gosling's going to try and do, and he's warning him, like, you do it again, you're gone. That means he's been gigging, playing songs he doesn't want to play for J.K. Simmons. He's in that 80s band a little bit later, and <laughs> clearly he has a relationship with all of those guys and he's doing that but like these are not things he wants to do like he's not really a starving artist he's a working artist he's just not doing the things that he wants to do and that's where the frustration is coming you know in. what he's a real a romanticizing uh jazz enthusiast uh yeah. i'll change it to that because you know he he's just so in love with jazz that you know he's not willing to part with things that were in the same premises of like people who he fucking loves and you know i feel like the only thing that he's good at is music right but he can only get these jobs that are like just such boner killers for him that like he immediately runs away you know and just throws it all away because like he's like i don't want to do fucking 80s i don't want to do christmas music but he's doing it because he's got to pay rent that's the thing yeah that's why he's a working artist like working Mm -hmm. artists aren't necessarily happy all the time like they're doing the things that they got to do i got a friend who was on the road for a long long time and he loves writing music but he's also he his set is always half covers and it's half covers because he understands that's how he gets to keep working mm-hmm. is like you occasionally get people singing along or they want to hear this song or that song you know so it's like that those are the compromises you have to make to actually make money at it and it sucks and that that's at the heart of his dilemma is that like for him to make money even enough to get by and be fed off of he has to do things that he doesn't want I mean, to do and just in a deeper way that's the heart of this movie is compromise uh, in both aspects it's like you know you saw how how hard Emma Stone is like fighting to get a fucking role and she's compromising herself to go to this party to meet someone and you know obviously doesn't want to do that Seb is compromising himself to be a part of these things he does not want to do to get to where you know he wants to be which is like you know in that scene that we quoted when he's talking to his sister which actually it is before 
this the scene with jk simmons because she tells him to go back to work yeah which is there you're you're right about that he's like so in love with this one spot that used to be like the heart of jazz in new york and uh the closest thing i could think of it in real life is like cbgb's like it's that kind of do you know what that is i do know what that is they have a pretty good movie based off of that too talking about the story of that but that club that he's talking about is a real club in la Oh, it is a real place? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know enough about jazz to be like... I am like big, big on jazz. So I've definitely heard the name of the place he's talking about before. And it looked like they probably filmed at that location as well. Yeah. Later in the movie when we go in there. Yeah. He's like steeped in the history and the romanticism. And what's mm-hmm. really interesting, if I can just say this out of the gate, this idea at the end where he goes to Paris, that's really what he should have done from the start because LA is not a place to go to bring up something from the past necessarily because they're doing the next big thing right like that's kind of the history of LA is it's like who's new who's hot what's new what's hot what he wants is in Paris in Paris they're still playing jazz like there's a really respected jazz scene or you go to like New Orleans if you want to go somewhere closer he is in the wrong spot to do I would have said if anywhere like New York like or something like that I, sure. I still feel like there's love for that or I feel like maybe the thing that's attracting him to LA is the city vibe and i feel like he would get that in new york and like you know yeah it's it's the wrong place to be for what he wants to do though i mean that's the reality of it like if he went to new orleans he could actually do what he wants to do and maybe build off of that and there's an industry built around jazz in new orleans specifically you know like that's the place in the u.s you want to be if you want to break out in jazz but for what he wants to do like breaking out and the old standards and things like that like there's no worst place in LA to be you know well maybe there's worse places but in terms of like places where the industry is LA is a waste of time like oh yeah they're gonna want to do what the flashy new thing is that just there's no room for that with what he wants to do you know I feel like LA is a good place to get your start and then you know maybe meet the right people and I don't know in, in that particular field though I think that is the worst place to try and get your start you don't hear about the LA jazz scene you know for sure from my understanding of like LA a lot of people do move there like Silver what no not I think it's Silver Lake or like the surrounding areas or whatever mm-hmm. to like start a career and like music and like stuff that like I know a lot of people do move there for that specific oh yeah 100 that's not the genre that he's working within like he's working in america's past in a way so you go to the city that actually has respect for that and an industry built around it he's in the wrong spot straight up like he never should have gone there that's why he's doing all these gigs of things he doesn't want to do because nobody's there to pay for jazz like it's just it's non-existent you know let me put it this way if you want a hot dog you don't go to mcdonald's you know they don't fucking sell hot dogs I heard a really funny bit yesterday uh, where someone was talking about their experience with going to fucking uh, Detroit and getting a Coney dog. And uh, he's like, what's a fucking Coney dog? And the guy's like, oh, bro, you ever have chili? You put it in the fucking hot dog. He's like, so a chili dog. He's like, yeah, but a Coney dog has onions. So a chili dog. Yeah, but there's cheese. So a chili dog. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that shit made me laugh so fucking hard, man. 
anyways, uh, months later, uh, Mia runs into Seb at a party where he's playing in a 1980s pop cover band where he's playing the electric keyboard and looking like he fucking hates his life. He's playing a guitar for part of it, too. I love it, dude. So, such a crazy, fucking funny look. Uh, she sees him, giggles, obviously. Uh, the show ends. He gets paid. Uh, Hold on. She, she, like, tortures him by requesting and I ran, right? Uh, like, she yeah. makes him play that just because she knows it's going to irritate him. <laughs> so, the, the gig ends. The two of them are walking to their cars. Um, and she makes him retrieve her keys because he's an employee oh. at this party. Oh, that's fucking right. She's like, she is getting her her passive aggressive revenge on him. Yeah, well, he's been a fucking asshole in so many different instances. And she puts it right back to him, which puts him on even footing, which is why I think they're able to walk together. Because at this point, they're both guilty of it. So they can like let bygones be bygones at this point. I think that's important because otherwise it just looks like Emma Stone's a punching bag. But she's not because she just took agency and like fucked him over a little bit in a friendly way to be like go fuck yourself right so they're now standing on even levels again that's important like power dynamics in this particular movie is important like it's it's what they're fighting against and it's also what they're fighting against in their relationship so right and this is where uh they start walking together and uh the song a lovely night starts playing which is you know just pretty much them just vibing out and and kind of having that same, uh, what you just said, you know, they're both kind of like fighting each other, but also vibing out. And then they're at this one spot. I can't remember what it's called, but that bench where you can see all of like LA, that's like a real spot. I can't remember what the fuck it's called. I've seen it in other movies and TV shows. Like, a yeah, this movie seemed very interested in filming or replicating very famous locations in LA. Yeah. Like the history of like LA and God, forgive me for saying the most passe thing in a movie podcast but uh la is a character in this movie <laughs> ah yeah right uh to live and die in la uh but uh for real though um so you know they're vibing out and then you know they leave they obviously have chemistry um seb finds out where she's working because she mentions something about working at the warner brothers back lot at a coffee shop probably you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, Seb shows up and uh, sh- she shows him around the back lot where she works as a barista, explaining how much she loves acting, showing herself. She's showing the same passion that he has for jazz with acting, and that's what attracts him to her and vice versa, right? Like she got it with the music, but he has to get it through her walking around and talking about the history of the lot. And that's where he invites her to a date to see Rebel Without a Cop because she's never seen it and it's clearly a favorite of his he takes her to a jazz club right after that describing his passion for jazz and his desire to open up a club uh my favorite thing about that scene too is he's really uh, explaining the dynamic of jazz which is i know we talked a, a little bit about it in um the episode with Connor with uh, the jazz, uh, whiplash, but you really get to see like there's a vibe to it where there's 
there's structure, but there also isn't structure. Like within the sense of like this person, this is his solo. Everyone gets a solo. Everyone gets a part to vibe out to what they're feeling with the song. And that's just like the improv jazz thing is just such a cool vibe that he really just gets into that to show her. He's doing the classic argument that people who like jazz are constantly making to other people. Because I think when people think of jazz, they always think of bebop, which is super Mm -hmm. crazy. And it's not what jazz normally is. That's just a specific style of jazz. So they think they don't like it. And he's pointing out like, no, like they're doing this verse. They're doing a chorus when they come back on the verse. Like this person gets a solo and the other person's waiting for his solo. So you can see he's being impatient, but he's trying to like hold it down. And then when the other person goes to take their solo, like they have to hold it down, right? Like there is structure to it. And he's explaining the structure of it because jazz is much easier to listen to when you understand how it's put together. And I think that's what's lost on a lot of people with music because they're so used to listening to pop music that there's this formula that's replicated over and over and over again. And I don't care what genre of music it is. They do it over and over again in all the genres. Like there is a structure to each genre that's almost always followed by like 95% of songs. And jazz is also has a structure, but there's a lot of improvisation within that structure. And so he's letting her into his world to try and like give her something that she appreciates out of it because this relationship just isn't going to work if she doesn't appreciate what he wants like what he does right and so he reaches out to her by going to the movie little bit of foreshadowing when they go to the movie though right because the film breaks like (laughs) little bit of foreshadowing as to how the relationship's going to end they're showing each other interests and showing their creative sides because that's so much of who they are and they're really vibing off of each other as a result right and I really like how he's like describing that there are different vibes with jazz like my favorite jazz artist is julie london and that's a lot of people would not say that that's like their vibe of jazz like i like slow piano jazz uh chet baker that kind of like i love slow vibes like that and you know he's more on like the upbeat kind of like I don't know, what would you call that style of jazz? It depends. I'm not exactly sure uh, off of the artist's name, but I know West Coast jazz is like the kind that tends to be what you would picture in like an elevator a little bit where it's Mm -hmm. like really relaxing and like a lot of pianos, a lot of like slow breathy saxophones, like probably a hi-hat hitting or something like that. Like that would be like West Coast jazz. So maybe that's what you're thinking of. Yeah. That kind of started from like Dave Brubeck uh, was really the guy who like made that fan. So he did take five, which is like very, if you heard it, you would recognize it. It's just like really, really used. My favorite artist is Miles Davis because that guy, Mm. my favorite period of his is in the fifties when he's doing ballads and it's really like relaxing and slow and romanticized. But then he went through all these other periods. He creates jazz fusion Uh, at the end of his life. He's mixing hip hop with jazz. Like he just never stopped doing new things. And that's why I appreciate him. It's like the growth of the artist. And we have a comp for him in a way when we see John Legend's character in this later on. That guy reminds me a lot of Miles Davis in that Miles Davis wants
wanted to always stay relevant and wanted to take what was current, do a marriage of it with jazz, right? So he's constantly updating his sound. And I think that's kind of the the mold that John Legend's character is out of. Like there's a lot talking about jazz within this movie that I think if you know jazz, you're going to appreciate so much more. It's just so obvious how much Damien Chazelle loves jazz based off of Whiplash and based off of this movie. Like he really steeps both movies in it. Right. I really also like John Legend in this as well because like you were saying you know he's he sees the future of what music can become which is like um i don't know if i ever talked about this on the podcast but uh i'm a very big fan of the artist little peep which a lot of people fucking despise but the big thing i love about him is he fuses different genres of music he passed since he passed away rest in peace but uh he he had fused different genres of music to make his own vibe and i love that like he took things that i liked and made something new with it that became like a really big thing now with different artists and you know i I really do appreciate that with that dude's character because he sees that too where he's like you know i we can still vibe with the old shit we can just also do new stuff with it like shouldn't it be about progression instead of regression it's like you could still love the old shit but like it should be about moving past it and doing what's next and that's why this character really works for this movie because he is a counterpoint to ryan gosling's character like john legend's character he has figured out a way to move forward with music he loves doing things that he loves and having that be commercially viable for him to try and put together a band in la it makes sense because he is looking towards a new sound Mm -hmm. whereas like ryan gosling does not want to do that as we've said over over and over again so. and he's being realistic about it where he's like dude this is what sells yep this is what like in a later scene when ryan gosling is fighting with him he's like this is what pays your bills you can't have your cake and eat it i actually got into a really awesome argument about a band i like i won't name because what i say for the people who like that band will get upset because a lot of people like, like the the first the stuff that they first put out was fundamentally like they were it that was like they made a new trend of like that genre of music but when you start to see how it goes on within the next 10 years and how they're kind of like the way they write music changes and it's like dude like you can't just like well you're gonna keep doing the same thing like you know you're gonna keep writing the same album over and over again like it should be about progression and now it's like uh i guess i'll just talk about it it's the band called trapped under ice their first album's like brutal and hard and a lot of people who like hardcore love that those first three albums because it's so like raw and angry and then their latest album is like there's like congos and shit and it's more punk than it is hardcore a lot of people don't like that because it the vibe changed but it's like vibes have to change sometimes man it all comes down to the individual musician or artist like just artists in general like you have to be doing things that you're into on some level or it's just not sustainable like that's how you burn out and you're just like fuck all of this and you burn it to the ground right right you have to like keep engaged or it's not going to work it's the reason why i've done a number of podcasts over the last 10 years right like i could have done the same one that i did for eight years 
years, but it started to get old, you know, and it was time to do something else. And I was doing other things on the side. Like John Legend is like this. Like he found something that he likes to do and that will also sell. He found that intersection. Ryan Gosling's just not standing there with him. Yeah. And it's like, if you look at the dude from Trapped Under Ice that made super hard music, if you look at his new band now, which is called Angel Dust, it's literally like, I'm taking like, I would go to the beach and play that music to vibe out with people and just go to the lake you know he plays like this really like let's get around and hang it's all acoustic and shit and like dude it's such a good vibe and people hate on that so much because it's different and it's like nah dude he just he just found a different vibe man and it's like you can't hate on the guy for like wanting to do something new you know but people will (laughs) yeah that's always the danger with being in a band is people start to pencil you in for like this is your thing you know it it is what it is it's funny because seb has a very old head mindset he's very like this is what jazz is nothing else this is it it's the fucking bar that no one goes to and fucking you run in and you're one of the only dudes drinking dry whiskey with no fucking ice vibing out to some sad dude playing piano like i feel like that's his idea of like what jazz should be where john legend is like there's so many different variations of many different things that could be and we should try to encourage people to do that but i think that the big problem with ryan gosling's character above everything else is everything's binary to him yeah he can't figure out a way how to make money and do the thing he loves because he's so uncompromising in the thing he loves he's not willing to take the step until the end of the movie which is like move away from la that's the step he has to take to to feel creatively fulfilled and that's the only step that's going to work for him to get to where he wants to be that's the problem that's like that's what this movie is setting up is it's this intersection of like how careers can destroy relationships in a way you know because if you're creatively fulfilled sometimes you have to burn down everything else in your life which sucks but it is the reality of being an artist you keep weird hours you have to like keep weird company and you can't necessarily do it in a stationary place and certainly not the place that you want to be in a lot of the time you know so they're showing all these conflicts within him through that all right uh so they watch uh rebel without a cause and she accepts and forgets that she had a commitment with her boyfriend, Greg. Oh, yeah, she has a boyfriend. Yeah. Greg. <laughs> uh, which is kind of like that, like how I just mentioned it is the vibe of their relationship is like, oh, yeah, I have a boyfriend. She misses her date with Greg. She gets bored because she has to, she goes to the date with Greg where he's talking about like financing or some fucking bullshit with the suit. Dude, so many scenes of him trailing off talking about whatever thing he's into and just like the sound will just go down and you'll get a close up on Emma Stone's face. They make it very clear through the language of this film that like what he's saying doesn't matter. Yeah. And she literally just leaves. (laughs) It's so fucked up. She literally just leaves finds the theater and then uh they watch the movie it breaks when i went to go see some family in california i went to go see hellboy 3 in the theater same thing happened it was uh devastating (laughs) actually maybe not not hellboy 3 hellboy 2 sorry i had superman the movie break on me when i was a kid and they managed to patch it together and finish it up but we were delayed by like 45 minutes (laughs) damn that's fine i was a little kid uh (laughs) 
So uh, they conclude their evening with your romantic visit to the Griffith uh, Observatory where they start vibing out to the song City of Stars. Or no, City of Stars already happened. It's a reprise throughout the movie. It's very much their relationship. So yeah, I think they play it again here. But this time they're dancing and singing to it. In the sky. Yes. (laughs) And it's not really filmed at the observatory, I should say, too. They couldn't get it to rent out, so they green screened everything but it, yeah it looked pretty good and i mean i never suspected that they actually floated up into the skies in real life so i figured there was some kind of green screen calculation right. there. you know the the main theme starts playing which is you know like like you were saying it's from the song earlier it's just a vibe throughout the whole movie uh these are the lyrics city of stars are you shining just for me city of stars there's so much that i can't see who knows is the start of something wonderful and new or one more dream that i cannot make true which is like the whole vibe of the movie i mean it's you know they're dancing in the sky and the stars and like it's like they're both in love with these very different things but where they're at and cap all of that you know which doesn't really make sense for the jazz part but you know vibing on each other's passions which is making them vibe with each other in a really weird way i guess i don't know i think it's special when you can share something that you love and you can get the other person into it and they do the same for you like that's special right and i just i just haven't seen a lot of i guess maybe i haven't watched a lot of romance movies like it should be but you know i feel like that's just such a, such a unique thing or a unique concept in this movie, at least. I, I just really dig it. After a few more failed auditions, Mia decides to accept encouragement to write a one-woman play. And she, that's, like, her goal now is, like, you know, she's still trying to get auditions. Uh, I think they moved in at this point with each other. Yeah, and he's pointing out that one of the stories she's telling was she would write things for herself to, like, perform. And so he's yeah. like, that's exactly what you should be doing. You're a writer, but you don't even realize it. And so write something for yourself. Nobody's going to give it to you. Take it yourself, you know, um, which is really good advice. You know, outside yeah. of how it plays off in the movie, that is a move that people do all the time and, and succeed in Hollywood doing that is, like, produce your own thing. Take your shot. Like, if nobody is giving you a chance, take a chance on yourself, you know? Right. And uh, I believe she encourages him to to also like, you know, just kind of get a job because that's kind of not the vibe, you know. Actually, I want to say he misinterprets that because she's on the phone with her mom and he hears her end of the conversation and she's saying that he's going to open up a club and she's like, he'll get a job. I'm not worried about that. Like, it's not important. He'll get a job. But of course, he takes from that that like she wants him to get a job, which is completely wrong. But I can understand when you're vulnerable reading it that way although it is the wrong way to read it and while he's doing that there's another visual signifier that their relationship is in trouble because he's staring up at the ceiling and you see like water damage in the corner of the ceiling right and that's there to represent like there's this problem and it's going to rot and spread right like that's what always happens with water damage and so this is the start of the end of their relationship even though it's really just gotten going we've already got the seeds for what's going to pull them apart uh and they basically move into each other he starts performing regularly at a jazz club and then john legend invites him to you know he's like hey i need a keyboardist for my jazz fusion band and you know it's good income you just got to get over the style man you know same same thing i feel seb's been hearing which is like you're the guy for the job just do it you know and it you know just 
you need money, just fucking do it. Um, right. They're coming at it from their own perspectives, right? John Legend is like, I need a keyboardist. You're the best I got and you need a job. So <laughs> like, th- right. obviously for John Legend, these things intersect very well. And for Ryan Gosling, it's like, well, I might as well make some money so that I can make this club. Right. He's still working towards his dream, but he's selling out his ideals on the way. Yeah. Which I feel like it's a a commentary on people in the music industry that like, you know, they start out making this vibe and then, you know, they sell out or whatever, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, I don't know. I guess some people do sell out and that works for them. Maybe that's the only way to make it work. You know, so many people try to make that a job. The horror that she feels when she sees him playing that, I understand that. But I also think she handles it poorly when she confronts him about it because like he's already sensitive about this, but I don't think he's totally selling out because you can tell he's still got this club in mind like he's working towards his dream he's just doing the shit work to get there you know what i mean so it's not going to feel creatively fulfilling but that's kind of what you're doing sometimes is you're kicking the can down the road because you realize this isn't the time right now and once again he could move to new orleans or paris and like actually have the career for what he wants to do but then the relationship is over and he's loving her so he's conflicted in that way right it's deciding what is going to work in your life the best because you're gonna have to make some compromise one way or the other that's just how life works man sometimes you have to compromise the thing you love to get the bigger thing that you love which is a way more realistic thing than like you know seb joining a band and then it being absolutely what he wanted all along you know yeah that's that's just not how that happens you know i mean i guess sometimes but not for a lot of people you know yeah and like it should be stated with john legend too it's not really jazz fusion what he's doing is he's mixing jazz with like hip-hop and r&b like modern sounding R&B and he's kind of infusing those things which is a very modern jazz style right now and it is a style that like is like it's never going to be top 40 material but it's definitely mm-hmm. material you can tour off of and get a lot of gigs off of because it's not so wildly out of people's comfort zone with music so I mean this just runs directly against what Ryan Gosling wants to yeah, do absolutely. and he's got a badass fucking keyboard that looks expensive as shit like that synthesizer is like, using keyboards dude but that one you know the one i'm talking about that's like somewhat clear inside it looks like iron man's keyboard like (laughs) that shit is expensive dude that's like a 10 grand keyboard right there Um, during the band's first tour, Mia and Seb have a huge argument where she accuses him of abandoning his dreams. While he claims that she liked him more when he was unsuccessful, devastating to say to someone, especially when he took it as she wanted him to get a job when, you know... Which she was wrong about. Yeah. Two weeks later, Seb misses Mia's play to do a photo shoot he had forgotten about, uh, which is fucking horrible like the dude is like you know man let's put the glasses on put the hat on uh bite your lip you know but like look look lusty at oh, me it's and so it's like, lame. dude it's so cringe can, it's can so i tell you something up. uh so we were on our newspaper here they have this section called the your time which is like a pullout that's got all the entertainment stuff and the first band i was in we did this newspaper interview with people they were interviewing everybody in our scene because we kind of popped up this big scene around town playing free shows at memorial park and so like somehow they got wind of it and they were like this this is a cover story 
Missouri. So we were the main band they went to for that. They went to like four or five other people who I all wound up playing music with. But we were kind of the lead in, the outro of the story, and we were on the cover. And we were talking with the writer and it was going great. And we're just like, this is awesome. She's asking all these great questions. And then the photographer is like, pose this way, pose that way. And we're just like, oh, this is fucking lame. But I'll tell you what, dude, the write-up of the article is not great. And the photo was fucking (laughs) awesome. So it's a trade-off, dude. Like, I I know exactly how he feels when he's having to, like, pose for all this shit. But there's a reason why they do that, too. Like, it puts out really good photos. Right. She reacts really poorly because she does the play. It doesn't go over very well. Oh, yeah, it goes horrible. There's only like eight people in the audience, but the worst part about it is she finishes and then she hears a conversation from some people just being like, I don't know, maybe she shouldn't be an actress. This doesn't seem like your thing. You know, and they're just talking back and forth, but she can hear it because the curtain is not that thick, you know, and uh, that devastates her. And you know, she's leaving right at that moment. And it almost doesn't matter. As much as, like, we want to make it out the drama of, like, Ryan Gosling missing that performance, I think she's leaving at that moment anyway because nobody showed up. As far as she knows, she's not going to be able to pay off her bill that because she had to rent the theater. And she was just devastated by hearing people in the audience. So I don't think it matters if he shows up or not. I think she's just going to leave at that point. But I think it matters to the story because I think that kicks Ryan Gosling in the ass to be like, when he finds out that she's got a gig, he's going the extra mile to make sure that she shows up to audition for this right because somebody saw her in the audience so seb receives a call from a prominent casting director who attends me as play and invites her to an audition for an upcoming film seb drives all the way to boulder city and persuades mia to attend by honking his horn late at night because she's given up and moved back in with her parents to start over yeah during the audition mia's asked simply to tell a story in response mia sings about how her aunt a former theater actress who eventually died of alcoholism inspired her to chase her dreams seb confident the audition was was a success encourages mia to devote herself to acting um the two profess that they will always love each other but part way to follow their dreams um this part is like honestly the part that really fucked me up uh i want to say the actual quote too let me find it and while you're looking for that they set up the end of the movie too because her aunt that she's talking about was from paris and we know that he's gonna go to paris so we're gonna get a similar devastating end to this because it is gonna be the end of something right but that's clearly the way forward when it comes to your dreams is like paris is right there for him so they're kind of giving a little bit of foreshadowing and then that whole scene too where it's all animated and it shows like what like could have been basically where it's just like them staying together and this and that and okay so he goes off to to paris right and they do a couple years later i think it's like five years later no no, no, no. i'm not talking about that i'm gonna get to that in a second but there's literally an animated scene right before that where it's like a retelling of what happens and it's her going to the audition her succeeding them kissing and then they move in together then they have a kid and then you know everything's all great and then you find out that that's like actually not what really happened at all and it's like so devastating kind of because it's like you know the the, the quote i found was um i'm always gonna love you and then seb's like i'm always gonna love you too 
And, you know, it's it's like that's the vibe for the whole thing, right? Is it's like, it obviously is ending. They should have written a song around that. I think it could have been like a really powerful song if you had somebody with like really powerful pipes who's like singing maybe something like, uh, and I will always love you or something like that. And I... <laughs> oh, that'd be so funny. You know, my favorite movie I've ever seen with that song Best is... Best Little um, House in Texas. No, uh, this is The, the Bodyguard. End. Spider-Man Far From Home. Have you seen uh, this? is the end yes i love that part when he's like i love you bro i love you too jay and then he's like i'll let go and he lets go and it's like and and it just the fucking light the god's light just shines up and shoots them up and cuts the devil's dick off and ah so fun yeah (laughs) so fun ryan gosling's character he goes off to paris like they they part ways she winds up going with uh tom everett scott from uh that thing you do which is a nice little illusion he winds up being a jazz drummer at the end of that movie tom hanks joint going back to tom hanks here he winds up marrying her they have a kid they're gonna go to i want to say it's a movie or to dinner or something but there's just a lot of traffic there it's dinner and they realize they're not going to make the reservation so they pull off on an exit to get something to eat and then she hears music and is drawn in by it and it's his club like he's now opened up the club and done exactly what he wants to do my uh my favorite part just before we touched on this scene is uh right before that happens when the five years just happens she's going to that same coffee shop and there's someone that's like literally doing the same thing she did and she's like tipping fat it's literally a recreation of the first scene you see her at that coffee shop but they're also showing that like she's somebody of weight now right like like in terms of her being an actress on the lot they're snapping to attention because they know she's a a big actress on there like they're they're giving you these hints without out and out saying it he sees her in the audience and then he sits down at the piano and plays her song and then they run through the whole thing of everything that happened with her husband but with him and then it ends and you see like you know that's what could have been but it just wasn't right and she kind of gives him a forlorn look as she walks out out of the because obviously she's not going to stay. That's super uncomfortable, right? Like you're there with your husband and it's not comfortable for him either. But I like that they have that last look without a big conversation. I think that's low-key like a great ending, the way that they do that. Like it makes a lot of sense for me to not have all this dialogue. It's like Seb really found his place too because it's like, you know, there's some dude playing and then, you know, and the crowd's like, oh, just one Seb, please just play one song. And he's like, ah, I'll get the fuck up, man. And then, you know, he does his thing and you know then she shows up and then they have that forlorn moment you know and it's just so endearing and then you know the movie ends and i feel like people misinterpret that last scene well what's your interpretation of it my interpretation of it is that they both obviously were in a relationship that was doomed from the start right was obviously not going to work and then they motivated each other enough to help boost their careers knew the things that they loved they're both got to be who they wanted to be so when you see that end scene i feel like people misinterpreted to think that like oh that's so sad that like you know seb and like mia never got together and they should obviously be together and this and that and i interpreted it as it being like you made it i made it and i will always love you and you always love me and i'm happy that we both got to do the things that we 
we did and then not be such a sad thing. I think there's a sadness that lines it, but I do think you're right in that that's what they're thinking. I think the happiness outweighs the sadness in the sense of like they did get to accomplish what they wanted to do and that it's not so much like that relationship is never going to work and they realize it. And I think they would have been very happy being together, but their career paths wouldn't allow it. I, uh, I don't think they would be. I think that it was definitely in the moment for sure. But I think that like, you know, they obviously were very different people, you know, that wanted very different things. And it's like, you know, what Seb did to Mia by not showing up and what Mia said to Seb about the music, you know, they said very, they, they did and said very hurtful things to each other. Yeah. That I feel like that would keep happening. I think it's more of a story about people who were in love and then became like platonic friends that still loved each other, but motivated each other in the ways that they both needed in the time of their need, you know, instead of it being like, I loved you and I'll never stop loving you. You know, I agree. I I wish they would have gave Seb a girlfriend or something or like a wife or like something or like maybe his wife singing while he's playing jazz or like, I don't know. Let's get in the themes of this. So the main one that I pulled here is nostalgia. Mia loves old movies. She moves to L.A. because that's where they were filmed and that's her opportunity in. Her one-woman show is rooted in her nostalgia for her life. Sebastian is worried that traditional jazz is disappearing, so he doesn't want to play in a band that dilutes it. He eventually goes to Paris, famous for its jazz scene post-World War II. He opens up a club playing traditional jazz and is steeped in memories of jazz greats. In the final scene, Sebastian plays an old song that connects him to Mia, and they have a fantasy of how their lives could have played out. It's all about nostalgia. Like, from beginning to end in this movie movie behind the movie so damien chazelle and justin hurwitz who is the composer came up with the idea while going to harvard together he wrote the screenplay in 2010 and couldn't get any studios to fund it we talked about this a little bit in whiplash but here's a little bit more eventually focus features picked it up but they wanted to change sebastian from a jazz musician to a rock star they wanted to change the opening number and they wanted to change the bittersweet ending chazelle scrapped it he was able to make it after whiplash was a success that's right, because Whiplash was the movie that helped him bust out the big one. Yeah, because musicals aren't really being made that much anymore. You get one yeah. every couple of years. So uh, it's like Whiplash is more in the traditional style of film, right? Like you can talk about whatever subject, but it's still a drama. It's like a character drama. You see those more, way more commonly. Uh, Miles Teller and Emma Watson were originally cast in the roles. Miles Turner lost the role when he wanted to turn his $4 million salary into six. Watson reportedly wanted to have rehearsals set in London. After the movie got Oscar nominations, both actors allegedly blaming their agents, with Watson firing hers. Later, Watson said she couldn't get the role because she committed to Beauty and the Beast, which conflicted with the schedule. This is possible since Ryan Gosling turned down Beauty and the Beast for La La Land. So there you go. A little bit of uh, casting what-ifs there. That's funny. For the record, I think they went the right way. Me too. Emma Stone's eyes are just so expressive, too, that uh, I just i don't know i i think she's great for something like this especially like an actress trying to make it she can just definitely emote with those eyes and so i think it's a good call this movie made me like her more and respect her as an actor for sure more so as like what i knew her from was fucking super bad yeah you know 
Chazelle shot in 2.55 to 1 aspect ratio to get as close as possible to the no longer existing film stock that he wanted to use because he wanted it to look like the older musicals that they shot Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers in. It was not filmed in digital. They used celluloid film. So they did the kind of douchey film school thing where they're like, we need real film for this. <laughs> I feel like that was the vibe, though. They were going for very old school, like L.A. kind of vibe. I'm just like, I'm just teasing when I say that, but it is a bit pretentious to a lot of ears to hear like, no, I can't use digital. I got to use celluloid, you know, like I know movie companies are just rolling their eyes whenever they say it because it's so much more expensive and so much more time consuming to do it with celluloid. Like digital, you just record, 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 and you've got, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't cost anything in terms of the film. So it's just way less of a pain in the ass and the editing's way quicker too if you have digital. Uh, What are the rules, Jeremiah? Oh, man, don't fall in love in L.A. (laughs) Yeah, fair. Let yourself like different kinds of music. Keep trying. You need to decide whether to follow your heart through with the relationship or in a career because you can't have both. Yeah, you can't have both. Is the title of the movie set in the movie? Uh, yeah, they do say it. Do they, they really? Do I didn't catch. Yeah, it. they do because they're they're making fun of L.A. and they're like, yeah, huh, La La Land. Oh, I miss you that because that's the whole that's the whole thing, right? I believe is that like it's La La Land, like ah, because it's L.A. L.A. Yeah, know? yeah. No, I got that. (laughs) I understood what the title was referring to, but somehow I just missed that line. Uh, Does it end at the right moment? I think we agree it does, right? Absolutely. It is a a perfect movie, in my opinion. One of of the very few movies that I feel like there's no need to continue anything. There's no need for it to end at a certain moment. Like, it's just, there's nothing you can add to this. Like, it's perfect through and through. Does the story continue? (laughs) Uh Oh, man. I don't know. I think it does. I think in the future, Maya's kid nags Sebastian to let Maya go, but he won't because she has Alzheimer's and he has a second chance with her. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. Can I talk about something? Do we have time to talk about something real fast? If it's real fast, yeah. Okay. I don't know if it was you. Maybe it was you. I remember someone on a podcast was talking about horrific alternate endings. And uh, they were talking about the notebook. This is 100% me. Yeah. 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 It was you where you were talking about like how uh, it was just some dude, right? Yeah. It's some guy who never, like, he was watching her from a distance and he was just like, I'm going to get her back. And that's why the kids are horrified when she's got Alzheimer's. Is because he's trying to like create this relationship <laughs> that never existed. So he's telling really? her a false story. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So this is a new category that I created in your absence. This is the ACV MVP. So this goes to the person, place, or thing that I like the best or that you like the best. And I'm going to give it to the crane shots because nothing says musical like a sweeping crane shot in this movie. Oh, yeah. Dude, Ryan Gosling, man, I got, I got to give it to my boy Rye. He, uh, his performance was just outstanding, as is everything he does. But <laughs> yeah, really hit it out of the ballpark with this one. So the reception, it made four hundred forty-nine million worldwide off of a thirty million dollar budget. Pretty fucking successful. Uh, K. Austin Collins of The Ringer said, "As a movie buying about Hollywood, La La Land brings a particular brand of cinematic imagination, one openly full of industry self-regard." It's in good company. This is also the story of Sunset Boulevard and Singing in the Rain, to name a couple of Oscar nominees, and films like Robert Altman's satirical masterpiece, The 
player. You can kind of make up that movie without getting all head up over Hollywood's ostensibly superior past. Singing in the Rain knows what it owes to silent movies and even mourns them, but its technicolor daydreams defiantly expose what those earlier films couldn't do. That's not quite the attitude of La La Land, which comes off as eager and studious. So, And then Wesley Morris of the New York Times noted, it doesn't propose that there's a bright line between staying pure and selling out. The idea is you'll find something that you can do successfully that satisfies your own criteria of integrity, and it's different for Maya than it is for Seb. And I agree with that. That's really the rub of their argument later on, right? Is they have a different version of what it is that they need to do with their careers, right? Like he's setting up the money so that he can build the club. She's just toiling away at that point, just keep doing the same thing over over and over again until it succeeds and then trying the one person show so Kelly Lawler of USA Today addressed criticism saying that it's a white savior movie his quest and eventual success to save the traditionally black music genre from pure extinction seemingly the only person who can accomplish such a goal I'm just gonna leave that there I I don't know that I saw that but I also feel like I'm privileged so maybe I'm not in a position to, to see it but I think it should be noted that was a criticism Chazelle took a lot with whiplash as well for focusing on white characters in a primarily black genre of music. Uh, influences. So there's Manhattan from 1921 and Man with a Movie Camera in 1929, which inspired the crux of the film Hinge on playing, tr- paying tribute to the town that they were in. The tone and style of La La Land were inspired by the umbrellas of Cherbourg and the young girls of Rochefort. And visual illusions are attributed to a Broadway melody of 1940, Singing in the Rain, The Bandwagon, and An American in Paris. These are all ones that Damien Chazelle has dropped. So he gave us a George Lucas style, like, just list of all these influences that kind of mixed up into this movie and what it influenced i think it's probably a little too early to tell right oh yeah like maybe if we see some musicals that are done somewhat in the style i can't think of anything i've seen yet but i also feel like the pandemic threw all this shit off too you know yeah uh, Legacy, it tied the record for 14 nominations at the Oscars, winning six Best Actress Cinematography, Original Score, Original Song, Production Design, and Best Director, which made Chazelle the youngest winner of the category at age 32. Unfortunately, I think it'll be remembered for the Oscar mishap, which we don't have to go back into it, but I think it's in the top three Oscar moments now. I think it's that one. It's probably Marlon Brando having a Native American woman accepting his Oscar and Sally Field saying, you like me, you really like me. Me. I think those yeah. are the biggest three moments. Am I missing any here? No, no. I think I think uh, this is all great. I definitely think it's definitely a historic moment. That's crazy that that even fucking happened. <laughs> it's really shitty for the movie, but I also think it's kind of created a legacy for the movie where it might be seen more than it would have otherwise because I think it made people curious, you know. Uh, other source materials. So Guy and Madeline on a park bench was Chazelle's student film he worked on with Hurwitz where they tinkered with how to do a musical. It it was a different story that also ended bittersweet. So he was kind of playing with the general elements in that. Would you buy this on 4K, Jeremiah? Oh, yeah. Facts. Facts. Yes. I would buy this on 4K. Okay. And did I sell this Blu-ray to settle medical debt? Lee and Associates announced they were taking it from me, but they actually grabbed Boogie Nights. After leaving, they came back and took it away. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they grabbed Boogie Nights first. That's fucking funny. <laughs> 
A Cosmic Void was created and hosted by Jeremiah Perez and Alex Small. It's produced by Alex Small. The theme song was written and produced by Tom Smith. Follow us, the show, and our whole podcasting network on Instagram at NSF underscore network or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash not safe for network. Also follow me on Letterboxd under Alex Big Small. Yeah, you can follow me at Vexed Tell Dead, V-E-X-E-D-T-I-L-L-D-E-A-T-H at Instagram.com. And join us next week when we'll be talking about Hamilton. Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, A Cosmic Void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.